0: X-Talks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This food industry-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to help keep you up to date. This week on the show, we're discussing how the FDA is making it easier to trace foods, and some potential food IPOs to look out for in 2022. Enjoy the show.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to the Xtalks Food podcast. I'm Sydney Perlmutter, senior food industry journalist and webinar moderator at Xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Aisha Rashid and Vera Kovacevic. Thanks for coming today. So I'm going to start us off with a story about the FDA and they are implementing a new food traceability rule that's set to take effect on November 7th. So according to this new rule, it's going to be easier to trace foods that are often linked to foodborne illnesses. And I'm going to just list off uh, the somewhat large list of foods that they uh, that they talk about. So we have cheeses, other than hard cheeses, so soft cheeses, I suppose, crustaceans, cucumbers, food fish, fresh herbs, fresh-cut fruits and vegetables, leafy greens, melons, mollusks, nut butters, peppers, ready-to-eat deli salads, shell eggs from domesticated hens, sprouts, tomatoes, and tropical tree fruits. So that's quite a long list of foods. Now, to make these foods safer, the rule will require a detailed account of the origins of the foods and movements throughout the production, processing, and shipping, even as these foods are transformed into other food products um, as other foods, or, or as other foods are added to them. So these specific foods present special challenges as many foods trace back through multiple processing stages. So this very extensive and detailed level of record keeping to trace foods is nearly impossible if we were to stick with the old pencil and paper um, or even with ordinary spreadsheets method um, of record keeping. So in order to trace these foods consistently, barcoding uh, has never been more important. So barcode data systems offer um, affordable, robust and user friendly solutions to trace product origins and destinations from end to end. So I'll just walk you through an example of what this will entail. So when a whole salmon becomes filet and then salmon cakes, each part of the process uh, will need to be traced back to the fish and even the boat from which it came. So similarly, when a fresh fruit um, is sold to a a company to make fruit salad, the salads will have to be traced back to the grower uh, with every transfer recorded. So it's quite detailed. The goal is to store data points efficiently and reliably, which will be called Key Data Elements, or KDEs. The stages in the production processes are referred to as critical tracking events, or CTEs. And collectively, CTEs include growing, receiving, and transformation, uh, which are then broken down into more detailed subcategories. So growing KDEs include growing area coordinates, taxonomic names of seeds, and a lot code designated by the farmer. Receiving KDEs will include a location, identifier and description, quantity, name of transporter and a list of all receivers during processing. And lastly, the transformation KDEs will include location and product traceability identifiers and a summation of the total processing records. So why is this new rule necessary? Well the current food recall system in the US takes a dangerously long time. So, information delays and overall inefficient communication channels mean news of serious food recalls can take a while to reach grocery shoppers, which results in 48 million food il- foodborne illness cases each year. So, this year alone we've actually seen several foodborne illness outbreaks and last month um, a batch of Vidalia onions were recalled by the FDA after it was found that they contained listeria. And Jif peanut butter and other brands associated with it saw a multi-state recall due to salmonella. And even Coors Light was recalled earlier this summer for issues related to quality. But now the FDA is hoping to revolutionize how producers and consumers trace foods in order to curb this epidemic um, of outbreaks before they even begin. And while the agency acknowledges that this, force, uh, that this will force changes away from old-fashioned paper and pencil record keeping, it does say that the financial benefits will far outweigh the cost um, as traceback time is reduced by up to 84%. And another thing I don't know if they mentioned was that um, it will save them um, a lot of money if they should ever encounter um, you know, a foodborne illness outbreak. So, yeah, this is a it is kind of a complicated uh, topic, but I thought it was important to um, just keep us updated on what the FDA is doing to make food safer. Um, and now, I personally have never encountered, um, you know, a foodborne illness myself, um, but I'm, and I'm not sure if you have either, um, but this rule seems to be extremely detailed um, And to me, it seemed quite complicated. But uh, do you guys think that traceability uh, will help, you know, curb foodborne illnesses? Um, Or do you think this is just an overly complicated, um, you know, thing that producers and and farmers are going to have to now implement uh, in potentially their daily activities?
2: Well, I think like... Once I think the hardest part is getting it started, right? Like you yes. we'll probably have a ton of questions, right? What to do, how to do it. But I think once it's started, it's just going to be really straightforward and simple. Um so I assume like, you know, many growers and and you know, shipment and whatever other food companies that are using the product to make to make other goods, I assume they will have like hopefully um, a company uh, or some support someone helping them guiding them through the process because I don't think any it's going to be really difficult for someone to learn all this by themselves and
3: implement it so I assume they will be getting support Uh, yeah so I was just going to say that I think this is a great program actually and I think well I'm not sure if it's a program per se but I think um, being able to trace back, you know, specific ingredients and to see and to pinpoint where um, the issues are or were, I think is super important. Especially as we, you know, recently, it seems like we've been seeing so many, you know, like recalls of of food products, and you know, there's always something or another that's been contaminated with something, which is kind of scary. <clears throat> um, but so I think like this kind of a traceability. Um, sort of program implemented, um, into the, into the, the chain and of, uh, being able to trace back a specific ingredients and foods. I think it's really important. And, um, I think it's, it's a great thing that the FDA has rolled out. I just wonder how much more this is going to cost and if that's going to fall onto increased food prices. Um, but, Uh, Yeah, I I don't know. I just feel like that might be a possibility and I'm sure consumers won't be. Well, I mean, some consumers might want the added benefit of, you know, knowing that their food um, may potentially be safer and that there's more accountability. But if it's going to be a significant cost and added cost to food prices, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good
1: point that I, I hadn't even considered whether or not, it, you know, it's going to affect us as consumers. Um, I think we've already been witnesses to much higher food prices than mm-hmm. even just a year ago. And this could potentially, you know, make that even worse. And to, to us, is it worth it if, you know, our, yeah. our food our food is guaranteed to be safer um that's yet to be seen i mean this program or you know this rule it'll probably take years um Mm. if not decades to actually validate whether um it's working and whether it's successful because there's so many different variables that that go into you know a foodborne illness outbreak and um you know they are targeting they're specifically targeting foods that are um you know more prone to uh be involved in foodborne illness outbreaks but yeah there's just so many variables um and I I I do like the idea but yeah the added costs may be an unforeseen thing and and things like this often as consumers we don't know why really our foods are are getting more expensive um Mm -hmm. and yeah I I don't know that's that's yet to be seen
2: I, I think it all comes down to like the price of gasoline and you know transportation. <laughs> I think that's why, because you know with the rising gas prices, there's rising
1: food costs and everything else yeah it's true so many so many different variables um Mm -hmm. and the other thing i was thinking too is that i think consumers um you know aside from this this new rule like the idea of being able to trace their foods from from start to finish um it gives them a you know a sense of just i don't know they're like more more content to be eating the food if they know exactly where Where it's coming from. from yeah yeah I was
2: kind of, when you mentioned like the FDA was saying, like, oh, we're trying to eliminate paper and pencil, I was thinking, like, who uses yeah. paper and pencil? Like, oh, you'd be surprised. I, I feel there's like there's no paper and pencil when I order <laughs> shoes online. Like, what do they do? What do they mean? Maybe they mean like just
1: Excel files or. You well, know. I truly believe that there are probably still some producers. Um, you know, whether it be farmers or or whoever along the way um, that does still keep track of Mm. of, of things via paper and pencil. Um, Not that this is in the food industry, but I did work a job a few years ago in logistics where I had people who... like companies that still kept track of everything via paper and pencil and they'd have to fax me what they were looking for <sighs> having you know wrote it down and and even then i was like oh my goodness guys like this well, like yeah. <laughs> this is gonna this is not gonna be how <laughs> we're gonna move it's forward. it's not efficient yeah <laughs> but some some people you know they're they're fine with the way that things are done but i think this new rule is gonna force people to overhaul how they do things and that will require a lot of training if you're if you're used to just using Mm -hmm. even even just excel you know so hopefully it is made as easy as possible for 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 those that aren't as in tune with with the new technology for sure All right, moving on to some food IPOs to look out for uh, this year. So an IPO, it stands for Initial Public Offering, and it refers to the process of offering shares of a private corporation to the public in a new stock issuance for the first time which allows a company to raise equity capital from public investors. And it also allows public investors to participate in what can be a very exciting opportunity. So food IPOs are no different, and 2021 saw the likes of Oatly and Krispy Kreme go public, but... 2022 has been a bit of a different story. So the contrast between the market for IPOs in 2021 and and this year is like night and day. So last year, IPOs hit a record high actually with um, over a thousand companies hitting public markets. But in the first six months of this year, that number plunged to just 92. And extreme volatility in the stock market combined with a series of rapid interest rate hikes has seen inflation hit its highest levels since the early 1980s and some form of recession looks increasingly likely. But that said, several private food and beverage companies have been preparing to go public and some may still do so in the second half of this year. So here are some of the most anticipated upcoming food IPOs to watch in 2022. But I say that with caution because a few of these were actually on a list that I uh, talked about last year. So that all is to say that these things take a lot of time. (laughs) So these are just some potential food IPOs. And the first one is Impossible Foods. So an IPO has been on Impossible Foods radar for quite a while now, with the company first hinting at the idea in April of last year. But much like several IPOs to look out for in 2022, Impossible Foods has seen last year's window of opportunity for recently public companies shatter as investor risk tolerance continues to wane. So Impossible Foods may be wise actually to wait until the latter half of 2022 for an IPO and its CEO Pat Brown called uh, going public inevitable as recently as November and the same month that the company raised $500 million at a $7 billion valuation. So when the IPO occurs, the company will make its public debut through a traditional IPO or special purpose acquisition company merger or SPAC merger. And if you're wondering what that is, like I did, um, a SPAC merger is um, a company without commercial operations is formed strictly to raise capital through an IPO um, or for the purpose of acquiring or merging with an existing company. So it sort of bypasses traditional, um, the traditional Wall Street process and we can get into that a little bit later Uh, but first um, I'll move on to the second company which is Instacart. So unlike many restaurants and food services, Instacart actually ended up benefiting from the pandemic era lockdowns and the subsequent work from home economy that still persists in 2022. But after reportedly tripling revenue to 1.5 billion in 2020, An expected expected slowdown in growth has gripped the company as it tries to pivot to operations in a post-lockdown environment. So Instacart actually delayed its plans to go public last year to focus on expanding its digital marketing business. While a July 2022 executive team shakeup could point to Instacart preparing for an IPO, the company cut its own valuation by nearly 40% in late March in response to market conditions, making an IPO at its highest valuation of $39 billion unlikely, at least this year. So the third company uh, is Chobani. So, what started off as a tiny yogurt company, Chobani is now contemplating a multi billion dollar valuation at IPO. However, much like Impossible Foods and Instacart, Chobani's long-awaited IPO was was delayed multiple times. And inflation, fears, and the Omicron variant of COVID-19, as well as market volatility, caused the IPO market to slow dramatically. And Chobani's IPO was expected to be one of the biggest ones last year, valuing the yogurt company at more than $10 billion dollars. But Chobani's plans to launch its offering once the IPO market returns, um, we're likely going to see that in the second half of this year or into twenty twenty three. The company has yet to disclose has yet to disclose sorry how many shares it would offer or their price range, but or their price range. But um, Chobani plans to trade on the Nasdaq uh, under the ticker symbol CHO. So I just also wanted to look back on how some of 2021's food IPOs are performing and I can't say that it's been completely positive. So first we'll look at Oatly. So Oatly went public in May of last year and it raised approximately $1.4 billion for the company and selling stockholders in an IPO that was priced at $17 per share. But in October of 2021, Oatly's stock price sank to a post-IPO low, falling 53% since its peak in June of that year. So it would continue to fall during the following months and is currently worth around a measly $3 per share. And then Krispy Kreme, it went public last year in July in an IPO that was also priced at $17 per share. But that was actually far below its original estimate of between $21 and $24 per share, which would have raised $640 million for a valuation of $4 billion. Instead, the company received a valuation of only $2.7 billion. Since its IPO, the the stock price has dropped to below $13 a share at the end of October, but it it did rise again to $16 as of December of last year. So obviously, um, you know, it is appealing to go public, but it's absolutely a risky move for businesses and investors since they don't always do as well as they think they're going to do. But while the IPO market is down for the time being, food IPOs are likely to make a resurgence when the market recovers. And I'm going to predict that plant-based IPOs and other food tech IPOs are going to be um, what we're going to be seeing in the next five to 10 years. So yeah, I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on you know going public. Do you think for companies that, like the companies that I mentioned, Impossible Foods and Saccard and Chobani, um, you know, do you think it's worth it? Do you think these delays are hinting at something bigger? Um, and what are your thoughts on the companies that did go public um, and aren't doing too well at the moment?
2: Well, I think like the market isn't overall isn't doing too well at the moment, right? So Exactly. That that um has a huge influence and you know, maybe many people were worried that the price of a share is going to go down even lower. So maybe they sold off all of their shares and then, you know, et cetera, and invested into something else, right? So that also can cause the price to go down even lower. Um, an interesting one you brought up was Instacart. I I don't know if I, like, I don't invest in anything, but I don't know if I would in Instacart now that the <laughs> pandemic is, like, yeah, pretty much true. over. And I don't know, like, who is using Instacart, maybe just uh, elderly people? Or,
3: you know, I'm not sure. I, I, I used it <laughs> last month maybe once, but uh yeah during the pandemic definitely i was Mm -hmm. using it a lot and because we didn't know how covid was you know transmitted and all of that stuff so all of that hype and um fear was around at that time but yeah like now that the pandemic is you know we're more accustomed to it and know a lot more about it um i think yeah i think the demand has fallen i but i mean occasionally if there's i'm in a bind or something um I will order from Instacart, but it's not a regular occurrence for sure. Mm -hmm. I agree, Vera. But um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, some of these things seem to be very timely. So it's hard to predict where a company might go because demand, again, it can um, change so much in such a short amount of time as like Vera, like you're saying with Instacart and with, you know, some of these other companies as well. I was kind of surprised about, uh, Krispy Kreme having, um, you know, uh, gone the route, uh, with the IPO last year because I love Krispy Kreme, but I didn't know the demand was as like, is it a very, is it in high demand given, you know, it's very sugary. People are a lot more health conscious, but I guess well, people like their it's treats demand. It's all the sugar, you know. People, uh, yeah, they like to indulge once in a while. So mm-hmm. I guess it is, yeah. But I don't know. That kind of um, surprised me. But yeah, good for them. Um, and in terms of the other companies, at Chobani, I just feel like, yeah, there's so many yogurt companies out there, and it's hard to sort of know, like. Um, Chivani is a yogurt company, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, okay. that's right. <laughs> yeah. So um, they have a lot of competition, right? So it's it's very interesting. It's hard to say. Like, I'm not an investor either. So I would suck at picking out companies that I would want to invest in. Um, but yeah, it's pretty interesting to see that a lot more food companies are um, going for IPOs. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah.
2: Now, Sydney, I wanted to ask you, like, what does Impossible
1: Foods do again? So Impossible Foods is essentially uh, Beyond Meat's uh, rival. So they are a plant based meat company and they are kind of known for their Impossible Burger, um, which is I think they have partnerships with multiple food service chains um, and restaurants to serve their very beef like uh, plant based alternative. So that is Impossible Foods.
2: Yeah, that may that you're right. I really think like plant-based foods, mm-hmm. like you said, and like food tech companies. It it it's something that's grabbing a lot
1: of people's attention mm-hmm. lately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, it's I think every company. Um, has to have the confidence that, you know, they will True. stand the test of time and they are timeless and they're classic, um, which is why there are so many sort of like safe stocks that people invest in. But I don't really know if, you know, food is seen by investors as as at any point, like a safe stock because, yeah, Krispy Kreme. I mean, like you were mentioning, who thought, like, yeah, yeah who, who would have thought? Like, <laughs> it's delicious. We all love Krispy Kreme, yeah. but, you know, health trends are, are you know, can really take a grip on like an entire nation and we may see a day where Krispy Kreme is nothing but you know you know they're selling a few donuts a day like we we really don't know mm-hmm. um and that's the risk that companies take um and in terms of Instacart uh, that's a great point that they've kind of sort of maybe passed their, um, prime. their, their prime. Yeah. And and they're really shifting now to like digital marketing. And I was even reading that they're pivoting, not just, um, you know, they're not just doing groceries, but they're pivoting to also like other forms of, of delivery, like,
3: like clothes even. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, makeup or mm-hmm. like just all mm. kinds of items like shopping from maybe right. Costco or Right. Or Which Walmart seems or,
1: even yeah. less necessary in right. my yeah. opinion <laughs> than groceries. But <laughs> it's
3: like people are like things are already like getting more expensive. It's right. Like, yeah. Do you want like yeah, it's it's hard to predict these kinds of trends and what but, you know, for you know, I think, you know, when a company um, you know, has an IPO offering, it does generate interest, right? Absolutely. So like, here yeah, I'm talking about Krispy Kreme here. We are talking about Instacart. So just to be on people's mind and, you know, generate interest, I think that in itself, like going for an IPO offering is, is, yeah, I think it might be worthwhile just short term, just to generate interest. And who mm-hmm. knows that might sustain into the long term. So,
1: Yeah, it proves to the public that, you know, they're big enough to, um, you know, offer a piece of what they have
3: to, to uh, investors. Um, And that piece, um, they feel confident that it's, it's valuable, right? So that might, you know, uh, consumers might be like, oh, is it really that valuable? Okay, maybe I should get in on this. That's right. I didn't know, Mm -hmm. right? So
1: yeah and at the end of the day you know it's still a gamble and all of these numbers are merely just projections honestly and and just educated guesses um because Krispy Kreme back to Krispy Kreme they you know they thought they were um you know they wanted a valuation of four billion Mm dollars but instead only 2.7 billion and uh that is that is so much lower um you know than they were hoping for so you know, it's, it's really is all about timing. Um, so I hope that we do see, um, some of the ones that I mentioned go public. Um, and if not, I'll be talking about them on next year's list. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that's the end of this episode of the X-Talks food podcast. If you liked today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks
0: everyone. And see you next week. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the X-Talks food industry podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings,